This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, and welcome to the latest edition of the Bird Hugger podcast. I hope you all had a fun year enjoying the birds in your backyard, as well as doing some native gardening to help the birds. In today's episode, we talk with Phil Brown, Bird Conservation Director and Land Management Specialist at the Harris Center for Conservation in New Hampshire. Phil is here to tell us why nighthawks are not hawks, and also why they are not considered nocturnal. Confusing, right? I think you'll find this conversation very interesting. In August and September of this year, Phil and the Harris Center piloted a monitoring effort to document the fall migration of the common nighthawk, a bird that is listed as endangered in New Hampshire. Teams of biologists and volunteers searched for and counted the elusive nighthawks migrating through the state, carefully documenting flock size, time of flight, direction of travel, and migration corridors. The pilot program was a big success, and there are plans in the works to conduct the monitoring again in 2023. And now I'd like to welcome Phil Brown to the show. Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. It's good to be with you, Catherine. Thank you. Yes, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Now, you've started a new Nighthawk monitoring initiative at the Harris Center. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. That is so exciting. So just to get started, can you tell our listeners about your job and your role in the program, as well as maybe a little background on how you ended up at the Harris Center? Sure. Yeah. So I work for the Harris Center for Conservation Education, which is a regional land trust and education organization based in Hancock, New Hampshire, in the state's Monadnock region. The organization was founded in 1970 in response to the environmental movement of that era, and it quickly began to buy and purchase land from development pressure. With the current ecological challenges that we now face, it remained true to that cause and now protects over 26,000 acres as conserved habitat for wildlife, for people, the natural processes. The land has ample recreation opportunities and many miles of trails. And the Harris Center is also a well-known and respected environmental education organization, and we're active in both schools and in the community. We offer hundreds of programs every year for people of all ages and backgrounds, both in person and in the virtual world. And lastly, we're an organization that has an expanding role in conducting community science. We do this on both our protected lands and elsewhere across the region. My role as the organization's first bird conservation director encompasses three branches of the organization, the science, the outreach, and lands. And it's a perfect blend of my own background and professional interests. About half my time is dedicated to sharing my love of the natural world through education programs and working on the lands. And the other half allows me to focus on implementing bird conservation and research strategies that help us inform our management and actions that we need to protect birds. 
This is something I've always been passionate about since becoming a birder at age seven. And at that point, the, the seeds of my career were first sown. My undergraduate and graduate studies work focused on wildlife has led me to the point, along with volunteer efforts and ultimately joining the Harris Center in the past year. And another project that I coordinate for the Harris Center and have done so for about a dozen years is the Pac-Manadnock Raptor Observatory. And this is a local hawk watch, which is now under the umbrella of the Harris Center. Each fall, our team of staff and volunteers tallies the raptor migration and conducts educational programming about this topic. We've also launched a few new projects this year aimed at better understanding and managing two other declining raptor species, the American kestrel and the northern goshawk. Common nighthawks, of course, they're not raptors, but they're a perfect candidate for further migration studies. So we launched this new initiative. It's a state endangered breeding bird species in New Hampshire, and their migrations are really what stands out for many of us in the Northeast. Now, can you tell our listeners about the Nighthawk Monitoring Initiative? What is actually involved? What are you planning to do? What are your goals? Yeah, good question. This past summer, we launched through the Harris Center a pilot season studying Nighthawk migration. The Nighthawk, as a New Hampshire-listed state endangered species, has a really limited breeding population at this point. There's only a handful of known nesting locations around New Hampshire, and similar declines have, have occurred elsewhere. But the fall migration, which has long fascinated people and gotten the attention of ornithologists and nature enthusiasts alike, really it seems to be this blink and you'll miss it spectacle. And it truly hasn't had the attention that it's deserved all these years. These are dazzling migrations that occur each fall. I put them right up there with the passage of the broad-winged hawk as far as a true spectacle of bird migration through New England every fall. It's not uncommon to hear reports of several hundred individual nighthawks flying over one location on a single night. Sometimes you'll see flocks of several dozen to a hundred driving along the roads and along the farms. But where they're all coming from, where they're heading to, and just how they're getting from point A to point B is still a big mystery. So this monitoring idea is one that I've had for a long time and I've always been fascinated with the species, but we haven't been able to settle on a choice monitoring location for the entire migratory period or honestly make the time for it until this fall. For nearly two decades though, local birders have known about the migration spectacle that this species has brought to the area. Former Hancock residents and authors Don and Lillian Stokes, a familiar name for, for many birders, would witness this annual migration along their property along the Kentuckuk River, which is a major New Hampshire river. Over the years, I was able to join them on peak migration nights in an attempt to better quantify the, the often swirling masses of these really fast flying birds. So they needed all the, the help they can get in order to really figure out the numbers. On some nights, we witnessed several hundred birds, maybe even a thousand or more on a couple of occasions. And these migrations were always happening in the late evening hours in late August and early September. Others in the area have conducted regular counts along major river valleys in the Northeast. Two other watches that are volunteer run have occurred for about the past 10 years or so. On each side of us, east and west, about 30 miles away, the counters there have generously shared their information about the protocol and the methodology. So I was able to really do my homework in leading up to the season 
and coming up with a team. So in searching for a location, it was obvious to me where I hope to watch from, right near where the Stokes used to live. The Harris Center supported this idea and a generous landowner right in that same vicinity came up with an offer to allow us access and we got to work August 20th. So our team consisted of about a dozen local birders, including a couple of paid biologists, and we rotated evenings, ensuring that there were at least two counters present at any one time. And this was to provide for adequate coverage for tallying these birds, which is sometimes a really hard thing to do. They travel in really broad fronts and they can be difficult to count. They could be flying both north and south in the same night. So swirling masses, try to picture like counting insects in a, in a swarm sometimes. We'd set up lawn chairs in a field and we'd have the river in the background and the view of the adjacent ridgelines. And we'd have binoculars around our necks and scopes set up. And even though this was just a pilot season for the project, we were really aiming for consistency night to night. And we were able to do this for three weeks every night, except the nights that really poured. And the detectability of the Nighthawks did prove challenging at times because of low light and hazy conditions. That tends to be the time that the Nighthawks are migrating. Scopes were definitely essential on, on several of these occasions. Some evenings when we really got lucky, some large flocks passed together in these tight bundles directly overhead. So it made our jobs really easy and, and also just really enjoyable to see them nice and close. At the end of this three-week period, our total count came out to 5,339 individual Nighthawks. That was our best guess at the numbers. One night, we witnessed nearly 1,000 birds, some of these in groups of up to 250. So we really had no idea what a full season of this monitoring period would bring us. But this number ended up being in line with what other New England sites have recorded during the fall migration. And aside from the realization of our suspicions that this corridor was indeed a strong migratory corridor, the data really inform us about a few things, including Nighthawk migration phenology or the timing of migration. We added to the collective knowledge about the conditions that the species will migrate through and forage in, the direction of their movement. Like some others that have reported at monitoring sites, we did notice too that some of these birds were indeed going north some nights. We really just don't understand why that is the case still, except that they could be moving to forage for flying insects, which tends to be timed really well with the Nighthawk migration. And our team, in addition to keeping detailed notes on the Nighthawks and a number, we added a lot of qualitative observations. We kept complete eBird species lists. I think we counted about 80 species of birds overall from this one location. And we did this all while having a really good time. So it was a very successful season. And away from this location, we also piloted a second Nighthawk watch on another river valley. And this allowed us to compare to another location that had similarities. And that location, we had a bird conservation intern this year, a guy named Will, and he, was, he counted about 2,800 migrating Nighthawks on a smaller subset of nights. So we had some some apples to apples comparisons in that way. In addition to all of the, the data, we also, as the Harris Center always does like to focus on the education aspect, we hosted three public field trips in urban areas in which people, dozens of people of all walks had a chance to come out and learn about the Nighthawks and enjoy 
several hundred of them flying over. So, you know, we had a lot of successes, but we still have a lot of questions about the species. And we've determined that more research and observation are needed to better understand these mysteries and certainly to help conserve them because we are concerned about their population declines. So we hope to be back next fall counting. And we also hope to inspire some new groups of enthusiasts to start their own counts and enter those sightings into eBird so we can all have access to them. Well, I say that's pretty good for your kickoff, your first year of monitoring to have be able to view thousands of birds passing overhead. So congratulations on the start of the program. It sounds yeah. like it's already a big success. So yeah, thank you. tell me now, the monitoring program, what is the scope of it? Are, are you putting transmitters on birds too, or is this solely observation, at least for now? We're not doing anything with transmitters. This is simply an old-fashioned way of, of watching them and, uh, and tallying numbers, similar to what occurs at hawk watches all along the East Coast, really trying to track the numbers and compare year-to-year numbers. But as we all know, a, a larger sampling, a larger sample size of, of sites would be more useful in order to determine true changes in the population. Thankfully, though, there are some groups that are using transmitters, and this has proved really helpful. Um, They're changing the way that the biologists monitor birds and our understanding of of migration ecology. In some recent years, studies have come out from a few different places, including the University of Alberta, conducting work on nighthawks, where researchers went out and trapped, I think, 52 nighthawks in 12 different populations. They outfitted them with GPS tags and started to get information pouring in from the use of satellites and GPS about how these birds were moving from their breeding populations to their wintering grounds and back. So all of a sudden, we were able to gather so much more information than than was ever known about where nighthawks were going in the winter. It was always understood that they were showing up in places in Central and South America in the winter, and they really just weren't in the U.S. at all. So that was some assumption that was made about what their range was. But now we have a really strong sample size of these birds that have shown that many of the nighthawks that are breeding all across the Americas from northern Canada to parts of the West Coast to parts of the Canadian Maritimes, all seem to be going to a very similar area of South America and the Amazon basin of Brazil and some of the surrounding countries. They travel up to about 12,000 miles a year on average. So it's a pretty impressive route. And this study also revealed a lot about their migratory routes, how they got from point A to point B. The assumption was that most of the birds flew around the Gulf of Mexico, which is this big geographic barrier Many species like the broad-winged hawk and other raptors will avoid going over water. However, it seems like the majority of tagged nighthawks flew directly across the Gulf, and they were using points of land, including Florida and Cuba and some of the other islands, along the way to their wintering grounds. So these findings are really important in that they point to the possibility that there could be local and regional threats and impacts such as pesticide use, habitat loss, other human-centric structures and things that go up along the way that could have a significant portion 
could really have a significant impact on the species population. And some of these maps are available online through eBird and on the new Audubon Bird Migration Explorer tool. Uh, you can see live maps showing how these tagged birds have moved across the Americas. It's truly one of the most spectacular migrations undertaken by any bird in the Western Hemisphere. Could you talk about the Nighthawks' natural history a little bit more? I think they are somewhat of a mystery to some people. They sure are, yeah. yeah. The common Nighthawk, it's a crepuscular species. This word means they're active mainly at dawn and dusk, so they're not nocturnal. They will fly through the night when they're migrating if they need to, I think, but they're, they're no longer common either. So it's really a misnomer. The name the common Nighthawk is a little bit flawed in every way. And they're certainly not raptors. They're not hawks. They have a raptor-like appearance. They are long-bodied. They have long angled wings. They resemble a small falcon, like a kestrel or a merlin. And they have this long tail. And surely that's part of the confusion and part of what gives them their common name. Though they're not raptors, they are hunters, but hunters of insects. They're considered aerial insectivores, a group of birds that feeds primarily on large flying insects. Nighthawks will forage on moths, grasshoppers, wasps, queen ants, beetles, mayflies, crickets, and, and more. An affectionate nickname for the nighthawk is the bull bat because of their larger size than bats and similar feeding habits flying around erratically in search of, of insects. So they do feed like bats or also like swallows and swifts. Sometimes they share habitat with both of those species. They gracefully meander in the air in search of their food. And their migratory movements tend to be more direct when they're not busily feeding. And that's the case. They kind of have this steady flapping and kind of occasional gliding flight. They can effectively soar on thermals of warm air, and that could aid them in both foraging at times when they're swarming around with flying ants, for example, and in their migrations. At one point, they were considered a common species. So common nighthawk, back when they were given a common name, was probably pretty accurate back then. But during recent years, they've declined quite a bit. They're still considered stable globally, and the estimated population is about 23 million birds. However, I think it's very difficult to really get that, that number accurate. Like the other aerial insectivores, this species is suffering a steep population decline. The breeding bird survey and other types of surveys have shown that nighthawks have declined about 60% since the 1960s. And in Canada, that figure is even higher at around 80% in the same time frame. And much of the decline, no surprise, is thought to be caused by a corresponding decline in insect populations. So though they are declining, they're still really widespread, though, and they nest across much of the U.S., into parts of Central America, and across much of Canada, anywhere there is forest, basically. In Canada, it's likely, it's thought to be the real mainstay of the population of this species across the Canadian shield and the boreal forests. A little bit more about their natural history and their nesting, especially. Nighthawks usually lay two eggs, and they are ground nesters, so they, they don't make a nest, but they lay two eggs on a sandy, gravelly soil 
or they nest on rooftops in urban areas. But that is an issue now because roofing construction has been changing over the past several decades from tar and gravel to rubberized roofs. The eggs of the nighthawk are well camouflaged with gravel and bare ground. And the nighthawks themselves are really well camouflaged too. So when they're on the ground, they're really hard to see. They blend right into something grayish or brownish and they have this kind of patchy whitish brown gray appearance on the back. There are some efforts that are aimed at helping declining nighthawks in urban areas. And that involves creating nighthawk patches on gravel rooftops. So creating these little gravel patches on rooftops that have been converted mostly because the gravel is not very common anymore across much of the country. And the Harris Center itself has an existing community science project where for about a decade, a group of volunteers has been going out in some of the, the local cities in the region to document and monitor breeding common nighthawks, specifically in Keene, the, the region's largest city. It's the only, still, it was the only known urban breeding site in this part of the state until this year, apparently. It seems like just this year, the population appeared to have winked out because they, they had been suffering in recent years. But in New England, the migration is really what is most pronounced about the species. And the best times to look for them are in the later half of August and the beginning of September. And the best window of time are the two to three hours leading up to dusk. So I usually try to conduct the counting between 5.30 and 7.30 as a set time frame, with probably the peak hour being the six to seven hour during that time of year. So if you just have to pick one hour, go out from six to seven in the last week in August. And if you go to the right spot, you should have some success. And what that right spot is, usually a north to south oriented river valley tends to be a really good location. Somewhere with a good view in all directions is really important for watching the site. And as with raptors, the weather seems to really dictate how and when the nighthawks are going to be moving on any given night. So you can't expect a big flight to happen every night or a flight at all on a particular night, especially some of these cooler evenings when a cold front comes through. Ironically, that's not when nighthawks tend to do their migrating. They don't seem to take advantage of a tailwind to go to South America, which is also a little bit baffling to me. So temperatures and wind direction and weather fronts are really important variables to pay attention to. It seems like nighthawks travel best on the days that are kind of the humid, more kind of breezy, southern breeze evenings in late summer. So they kind of go right into a little bit of a wind. So our data and those from the other observers in the area suggest that the last 10 days of August tend to produce the largest flights, at least in our part of New England. Of course, that's going to change the further south you go in the country and into parts of Central and South America. What can your average citizen do to help the Nighthawk? Is there anything that a person could do maybe on their own property to help Nighthawks? Sure, definitely. Well, the first thing is to, to learn about them and enjoy them. So get out there and see them. So if it's in the spring or summer, you might hear them vocalizing. Nighthawks will give a, a nasal peent-like call, similar to that of a woodcock. If your listeners know the call of a woodcock in the spring, the nighthawks sound very similar. 
but the males will produce this booming display call. Uh, it's not a call actually, but it's the sound of wind going through their wings. And it sounds like a deep braking sound of a truck when a truck is hitting its brake. And that means that there's a bird trying to nest in the area or searching for a mate. So that might be a good chance to go out and, and try to locate a nest on a rooftop or some gravelly spot nearby. But those are pretty hard to find, admittedly. So, you know, looking for them in, in rocky, gravelly areas or urban areas around lights in the summer could be a good way to find them. In the fall, though, as I was saying, the river valleys would be good places to go. Also, fields. So wetlands and fields are the two types of locations that are best for nighthawks to conduct their, their feeding activities. So a wetland and fields in close proximity are probably a choice location because of the food sources that those areas tend to provide. So some nights they'll be cruising around, foraging over a field for an extended amount of time. So really getting the bug involves watching them a little bit, getting familiar with their flight and enjoying them. But some nights they're just flying over really quickly and you need to be a pretty astute observer or just watching very carefully, watching the sky from that six to seven hour, pretty regularly certain nights. So you, you could see them over your house. Um, I certainly see them over my house and I'm not along a river valley. They're all over the place in that short amount of time. Another great way to enjoy the birds is to have a nighthawk party. I would suggest hosting some friends, having a little dinner party on your deck, going to the right place and, and trying to enjoy them coming over so you can pass along the fun and awareness of these fascinating birds. And usually it's a really nice time of the night to be out in the late evening. It's not those, those baking hot midsummer conditions that we have earlier in the summer. There are fewer bugs usually. So, you know, even if you, the birds don't show, you're going to have a good time with your friends and be able to see these birds. Lastly, I would say make sure to record your sightings of any nighthawks in eBird, which is the free migration database that's accessible to everybody because everybody's data matters here. And yeah, ways to encourage nighthawks in your yard going with a pesticide-free approach is going to be really important to providing those insect populations that nighthawks need. If you have a field, a delayed mow in the field might allow enough insect activity to stay present in the fields so that birds passing through in migration are going to take advantage of an abundance of insects over that field. Other than that, probably not finding one on a nesting territory. So yeah, get out and enjoy them in, in the month of August in the Northeast and probably into September in, in the Southeast and elsewhere. Well, that is great. Phil, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We all learned a lot about Nighthawks. Thanks so much, Catherine. It was a lot of fun. I'd like to thank Phil Brown for joining us today. You can find out more about Project Nighthawk by going to the Harris Center website at harriscenter.org. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. 
Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.